Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Hello and welcome back to People Taking Action, a new podcast bringing inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis. And this episode is particularly special as it is the first in a new series we are doing in which we interview people featured in United We Are Unstoppable, a collection of 60 essays from young people saving our planet and it's a very inspiring read. So we'll be featuring a few of them in special edition episodes like this one and we hope that you find their stories especially inspiring. You can go and grab a copy of United We Are Unstoppable by Akshat Rathi via the link in the show notes. My name's Alex Weibrook, and here with me today is Khadija, as always. Hey, hey, hey! That's me! (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) That's never going to fail to make me laugh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, All right. Today we're going to be talking about a Central American country, Honduras, and a young guy from Honduras called Ricardo Guzman. Ricardo is the director and the co-founder of Honduras Sustenta, which is a you know, medium-sized organization. They have about 100 people working for them at the moment, which empowers uh, young people in, in Honduras to create initiatives for ambitious climate action. So just bringing young people together, kind of like one of our previous interviewees in Argentina, Maximo, bringing together young people for uh, sustainable climate action and kind of education as well. But it's not the only thing that uh, Ricardo is about. And he's actually quite an expert on renewable energy and inequality. So that's probably what we'll be talking to him most about today. His organization, Honduras Sustenta, works directly with high-level advisors, such as the uh, former minister for education. And they create a youth voice by drafting action plans and briefs on what the youth in in Honduras want to see in terms of climate action. But he's also a co-leading researcher and author for the Model Switch Honduras Initiative, which has come out of the California Institute of Energy and Environment and provides a kind of roadmap for Honduras to switch towards renewable energies. Aside from all that, as I mentioned, Ricardo is also very deeply involved and motivated by overcoming inequality in sustainable development. So he currently serves as a co-researcher on income inequality in Honduras with the World Inequality Database. He's doing all sorts of things. So before we jump into our interview with Ricardo, we're going to have a brief discussion about the climate and inequality issues that Honduras is currently facing. Khadija, why don't you start us off as always and let me know what you've found in in your travels. (laughs) What I've learned (laughs) doing my research. Okay, so like Honduras is absolutely beautiful. The beaches, the waterfalls, the people, you know, all the historic buildings, all of that. This isn't a tourism advert. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Wait, I'm going somewhere with it. (laughs) Yeah. 
but all that beauty and whatnot is completely overshadowed by like the level of inequality all the environmental issues honduras is actually the second poorest country in central america and like you know they suffer from severe quality in terms of income distribution and underemployment more than half the population is living in poverty you know and then the people living in poverty are focused in indigenous areas or rural communities you know, in many ways, climate sustainability is the least of its worries, but it's something that it's unfortunately also having to worry about in the world we live in. The country itself has actually seen some GDP growth in recent years, quite high percentages of uh, 4.8% in 2017, 3.7% in 2018. But because of the massive inequality it faces, it still has one of the smallest uh, middle classes in the world. Only 11% of uh, Honduras could be classified, according to the World Bank, as as middle class. So the gap between the poorer communities of Honduras and the super rich in Honduras is enormous. Yeah, and then right now they also have people fleeing the country, you know, because of the violence or, like you said, because they're dealing with poverty, so for economic opportunity. Yeah, violence is a very chronic issue in Honduras as well. Uh, 41 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. It's a very, very unstable place right now. Yeah, and well, because of all of this uncertainty and whatnot, and like hostile environment, you know, they have very limited investors coming in to try and help push economic growth. And as we're on the topic of poverty, we could dive into energy and the mm. energy opportunities one time. Because like the main mm-hmm. source of energy in Honduras is petroleum, but after that is combustible renewables, waste, and coal. But then when you look at what is the main source that provides energy for residential areas, which is your homes, etc., this is firewood, and firewood is like a primary fuel source, you know. And mm-hmm. this firewood yeah. is coming from the deforested areas in Honduras, and of course, it's leading to severe deforestation. And then, of course, the use of that firewood is exacerbating the effect of climate change. Yeah, so causing flooding, you know, they're losing soil fertility, they're getting plenty landslides, and then with unfertile soil, you have problems growing your food. And one of their main economic activities of the past was bananas and whatnot. But, you know, because of their soil fertility problems, it's just been unable to continue to sustain this industry. Mm. So it's just like a web of interconnected factors. Is the fertility issues coming from deforestation? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. Because it's so it's so much because the firewood is like the main source of fuel for your residential areas, your homes. And as you say, they face uh, enormous extremes in, in weather patterns. They have really heavy rains, but they also have significant droughts. There's actually a specific part of Honduras known as the Dry Corridor, which is one of the poorest regions of the country. And because of how dry it is, because of deforestation as well, there's such low fertility in the soil that smallholder farmers are not able to typically produce as much as they need to be profitable. They also face enormous gender inequality. Less than 50% of women in these poor areas have primary school education. Oh, wow. But we don't want (laughs) to just sit here and bum you out. Honduras has made big leaps in recent years. There's a lot of work going on. Whether you're a fan or not of the work of big international organizations like the World Bank, Honduras has seen a lot more investment from the World Bank and the IMF in recent years. They have people like Ricardo fighting for 
increased uptake of renewable energies, which could really get Honduras out of this cycle that it's in, in which it relies on deforestation for firewood, causing infertility, causing low production in the agricultural sector, which is its primary sector. There's a lot of positive news coming out of Honduras as well. Things are heading in the, in the right direction and people like Ricardo are there fighting. Yeah. Okay, then uh, let's just jump straight into an interview. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, welcome, Ricardo. Thank you so much for coming on to People Taking Action. It's really a pleasure to have another young environmentalist on our show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and, and how you came to be involved in the projects you're in today. We've talked, Khadija and I, specifically about Honduras Sustenta, but I know that you're involved in a plethora of other things. So yeah, give us your spin on it. First of all, thank you both for inviting me. It's really great that you're putting the work of other young people like me up in the, you know, for everyone to know. So that's really appreciated. So yes, my name is Ricardo Pineda. I'm originally from a small town in Honduras called Comayagua. And I'm currently hoping to graduate this year. It's been really complicated with the COVID thing. As a sustainable development engineer in Monterrey, Mexico. I've always been interested into climate change. I guess my first real memory of it is when I grabbed a, a book from my dad. It was a really illustrative book. It had a lot of illustrations. It was a book written by Al Gore. We're really starting from the beginning here, aren't we? <laughs> We're, we're starting way back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really remember, you know, just the graphs, just the, that, that graph where you see the temperature just skyrocketing. I just remember looking at that and said, oh, that, that looks cool. That's definitely different. You know, I'm, if I study that, it's just going to be something that no one else is really doing here in Honduras. So I might give it a shot. Then, then, you know. And yeah, I guess that's how I started. And then, you know, it was a little by little. Some things led me to other things. Primarily being involved in student leadership was one of my first, you know, um, steps. And that kind of led me to, okay, it's, it's just going to be a matter of contacting the Honduran government, see what they're doing, see what I can do for them. And I've had some pretty great experiences. So I've been a five times a climate negotiator for my country, one of the only young accredited negotiators in, in the world. There hasn't been much of a, an opening. There has been, but not directly from government. So it has been something a bit groundbreaking. And uh, that's when I started to, to work as a researcher right now. I'm doing a researching project with the University of California, Berkeley on energy modeling and also founded my own youth empowerment organization. And uh, yeah, just like you said, I've been having, you know, some really interesting time just doing trying to think on what's the best thing that I could do and, you know, taking my shot at it. Sure. And and your organization, Honduras Sustenta specifically, how did that come about? Was it in your interactions with other students? You mentioned being involved in student leadership. Did you have some kind of call to action moment? Is there something that really pushed you to get that going? And tell us a little bit about the work that you do as part of that organization. All right. I guess my... I'll, I'll never forget the moment, you know, I was there, subsidiary bodies 50, the SB50, it's one of the events that the UNFCCC does at the middle of the year. And um, first time I was involved as, um, as a negotiator. So I was like, okay, I don't, really don't know what to expect, but all right, I'll be there, I'll 
I'll make sure to get into every meeting and all. Yeah, a little bit of nerve-wracking. But uh, first thing, it was that, oh my gosh, there's a lot of youth involved. You know, I, I really didn't knew it. And uh, they even had their own stands and they were all, you know, each going... Everyone already seemed to know what they were doing, except me. So it was like, it was really difficult. Like, okay, what am I doing here? But then what I realized is that, wow, everyone in the world, everyone's at least starting to get involved as on youth organizations or on empowerment organizations. And then here we are in Honduras, the most climate vulnerable country in the world, according to a organization called German Watch, which is, um, releases the climate vulnerability index. In that time we were, leading the the index as the most vulnerable country for 17 years straight which is not good especially not good in the case that there hasn't been any involvement so that's like okay i have to do something about it so that was the the first call to action you know people are so young but are doing so much and um i really wish we could replicate that and then i started to do some digging here in honduras and it's mostly the work of um you know oh we're gonna plant some trees next saturday you know to me that was never climate action you know well i'm, I'm not saying it, it's not i'm i'm definitely gonna say it, it's good but i've always been of the idea of ambitious climate action you know of what can we really do to change it's, it's our own future at the end of the day you know so uh, that's when i decided to to make um this project i'm currently working with other four directors but we also got the, um, the presidential delegate of climate change we're working on a structure that will work in four different areas climate change being the major one but also tackling the inequality especially inequality of income inequality of opportunities and quality gender because there are many opportunities where hundreds do not have access or are not even aware of these opportunities also local involvement you know trying to promote some projects to 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 stop the use of plastics for many islands or many cities of, of, of Honduras and also in in education because even though at the end we we can't really do much if we don't educate the society about so that's been our goal we have a range of projects that we're get, trying to get involved in one that we're really looking towards is the declaration of climate emergency we've seen it I, i've seen greta up on the stage in, in france doing the her speech and you know so much success stories even in in south america even in argentina and colombia and um that's what we want to do and again it, to me it's it, it doesn't even make sense because we're the most vulnerable country in the world so uh we should be the first ones doing these types of things we're growing really exponentially so uh i'm really happy about it and i'm sure we'll be having some really great results soon there's no such thing as too ambitious one step at a time <laughs> you'll get there right 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 Hello listeners, I just wanted to jump in briefly and say just like Honduras Sustenta, Ricardo's fantastic young organization, we are also a budding and growing podcast that needs your support. If you'd like to support us, you can jump onto the support us page at peopletakingaction.org. You'll get benefits like early episode access and the opportunity to join our online community of like-minded people through chats and live streams. But more importantly, you'll be helping us bring more inspiring content to your ears. Anyway, back to the show. What are some of the other projects that, that you guys are working on as part of Honduras' center? 
One that I, I actually got to start it before I decided to create the organization was the working for the decarbonization of Honduras. So see, this is the thing. Um, Honduras gets on the stage COP25 and says, we commit to decarbonize by 2050. And I was happy about it. Of course, any, any climate activist would be happy to hear that commitment from their country. But then, you know, as time passed by, I was like, okay, how's, how is this going? Right. And then, um, well, I easily found out that you, you need a roadmap for that. You need some scientific basis. You need to know how to do it exactly. So uh, we need to promote a plan of decarbonization and we need to make it not only a, a thing of, of the climate change office, but, but something that has to be promoted bet between the Secretary of Energy, between the Secretary of Transportation. It has to be a, a real national commitment. So, um, first idea was, okay, let's try to talk to uh, Professor Dan Kamen. He's a doctor in the University of California, Berkeley, a Nobel Prize laureate, an IPCC author on energy, and let's see what he has to tell me, right? So, uh, and uh, I talked to him about the, um, the, the project or what I was trying to do, and then he connected me with this, um, He's an MIT graduate, a postdoc there in Berkeley. I got to speak with him later and we decided to create the uh, energy modeling system that would not only be able to, to show the evolution of the current business as usual of the energy sector in Honduras and how it will end up in emissions and in costs and all of that. But we could also create by from scratch um, scenarios of renewable energies. And it was really an amazing project because when I got into this, I got to speak with the secretary of energy and to see how they do the energy planning. And it was, to be honest, a little bit, even my motivation, I mean, it, I really lost it. I, I have to admit, you know, they were taking decisions because of a table that you can find online and okay, no, the, the cost of the solar energy is this amount and the cost of, uh, you know, uh, coal. It's this amount. It was just that table, you know, and there's so many factors that go into it. You know, the solar potency, you know, the, it's, it's not rigorous at all. And, um, and at the end, you would see their scenarios and, oh no, it's so much cheaper to just import fuel oil. But in the end, it's still a lot more expensive. And they use the, the argument that, well, it, we can regulate the generation. We can always scale it down if needed. That way we don't cause any problems. We can do that with solar energy. So there I am trying to actually co-lead a project to decarbonize the, the energy sector. And then it was just amazing to, to, to take that leap from having that one table that will dictate how much the energy costs here, the solar energy and the wind energy, to be downloading more than 20 million data points in all the country to just figure out how the wind profile is going and how it'll expand and how different aspects such as the, the transmission lines and so many into detail analysis that will give us a much better and much accurate result. So and this um, is this is part of the work that you're now doing at University yes. of California Berkeley, right? Yes, this is what I'm currently working at. And then I didn't want it to stop there because in the end, what was really you know worrying me is that okay, I'm gonna just gonna release this and then no one's gonna see it. And it's not gonna happen. So then I'm back to Honduras trying to speak with the. Uh, presidential delegate on climate change, trying to speak with directors at the Secretary of Energy. And uh, fortunately, I was very successful. And not only that, I got them to sign an agreement of collaboration to create uh, a plan of decarbonization for Honduras. But we've also gotten many secretaries to be supporting us, to be sending us information regularly, to be finding information that hasn't ever be been used before to create a model for decarbonization that is 
to to comparison with other countries it hasn't really been done you know it's only been done for countries like china for the western side of the united states for california itself it, it's really a leap forward and we can easily see that well we're definitely going the wrong direction and honduras has a great potential to decarbonize even sooner and it's going to be a lot cheaper and um, we've been doing some real concrete steps to achieve it and the most important thing is that we've received the backup and the support from the government it doesn't always happen right. does it khadija i feel like we buried the lead at the beginning of this episode i the way that you've just presented it ricardo that you were at cop 25 and you saw your country's declaration for decarbonization by 2050 you realized nothing was immediately being done and then you decided to take matters into your own hands it, you know, obviously, I know there are a lot of people in play it, but yeah, what a great story. I guess the most important message is that it can be done anywhere, you know, because Honduras is not the most viable for these things to do. It doesn't have the most scientific support for it to do. It doesn't even have the channels for youth involvement. But um, here I, I am doing it and uh, I really believe it can be done everywhere. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Like your drive from passion and dedication to actually produce concrete change for Honduras. I, I'd be really interested to hear how do you try to make sure inequalities are addressed and that the work you're doing is going to help overcome qualities. Right. I guess my way to to add, to address this was through two main ways. First, I was looking to expand the literature here. That's when I contacted the Paris School of Economics and I'm working with some renowned professors to, to study the case of Honduras. It has been hard. This isn't data that the Honduran government is very keen to, to you know, to just share. Okay, so the top 10% of the country has around 40% of the income which is pretty high but once you get into the tax data you're seeing that no they actually have some things abroad and they actually have more money than they have some money in the in the bank account of their own company so that kind of scales up to 50% right and then yes we confirmed what we were thinking and not only that i also found a really interesting other side of the inequality if you see how many how much money does the lowest 10% have countries are going to be around 2% 1.5%, but there's no country except Honduras that has 0.9%. And then on the other way, I was like, okay, but what can I do, you know, for, for, for the people, for the young people like me? So um, it's important. One of the best, <laughs> like, first steps in dealing with inequality is recognizing our own privileges. Right. The, my own opportunity of studying abroad just made me realize, well, this isn't the 50%, this is even, this isn't even the 90% of my country, you know. So instead of trying to create, you know, this new portal for, for opportunities where we're going to gather all the opportunities, it's more about let's create a WhatsApp group, a really friendly conversation, a really down to earth, you know, type of commitment where we'll just be speaking through messages. Hey, try to see this, try to apply to this. And then, uh, that way we're reaching to much more people, you know, and it's just a way of not looking for the opportunities, but a way for to to make the opportunities easy to reach that's the way i i think i can really address a big part of the inequality of opportunities and i've been really happy because it hasn't been just me you know i've had a lot of support from other young people that are wonderful and it's just been amazing so you're 22 years old you're in school you're studying you're trying to graduate how do you balance all this work that you're doing and then all the ambitious ideas that you have. Um, you, you have to take your attempt at it. Like, there's really... Okay, yeah, I, I can share, like, a few great tips that have really, you know, gotten me to do this. But to be honest, it's just about pure commitment, you know? It's about taking that choice and then giving it all. I love it. This podcast has just become 
the life advice podcast. <laughs> we sound we sound like we're here for such, just to dispense like self help and this kind of thing. I love it. I guess you can read as much books as you want and all, but in the end, it really depends to how you are and how you feel and how you work. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you're unique, you know, so you have to find your own way. It's definitely good to have some inspiration, but it's definitely good to, to take it at your, your own pace. Exactly. To each, to each I, just, I just wanted to ask one more question before we wrap up. Just to kind of combine everything that we've been talking about, um, you're working with the government to try and make them shift towards renewable energy decarbonization by 2050 you've got inequality in mind every step of the way with everything you're doing do you feel like do you feel like renewable energy is will it bring about equality definitely i definitely think that renewable energy is one of the best paths for a more inclusive society first of all the, the energy that is generated through fossil fuels it's normally done in the communities that are mostly poor that mostly don't have the consideration for air quality so by eliminating that we're achieving a better air quality for everyone this isn't just in Honduras yeah. this is everywhere you can see this in the United States you can see this basically everywhere right firewood It's the most used fuel type for cooking in Honduras. So about 60% of the families of Honduras use um, wood as a, um, as a cooking fuel. So it's really bad for your health, right? It's not like you're gonna be, you don't want your children to be there inhaling all the smoke every day, every mm -hmm. time you cook, but that's just the reality. So definitely, and I do have to put myself into the ground for this. It's, it's not that easy okay. to just give course, them an yeah. electric stove and just put it at their homes, right? We don't have the generation for that. We don't have the, the energy systems for that, the transmissions and all of that. So um, it's definitely what we're looking for is, it's not just um, more renewable energy. We're looking for energy transition for everyone, right? So, um, but what I do see as the end goal is, you know, people having a, a better access to a, an access to a healthier air, an access to better energy, an access to a more resilient It just really changes the way you do everything because once once you have access to electricity it's not only about the cooking but then you're gonna be able to hook up your computer you're gonna be able to just access so many things that really change everything it really changes everything and another aspect is you know avoiding this mega project and having a, a more having microgrids, having smaller generation that will not be so damaging to the environment. I will always have to point out to the example of, of a Honduran activist. Her name was Berta Cáceres. She was winner of the of the biggest prize in ecology, the Goldman Prize. And uh, she was murdered because she was opposing a, um, a construction wow. of a hydroelectric plant near her 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 village and then these projects are are too big these projects are too disruptive these projects are damaging the sacred housing the environment just the the sacred land of these people so um so impacting less and having less immense projects but making it all more regional is definitely going to improve the lives of so many people so i'm definitely advocating for that I really do believe that what I'm doing is uh, is really important and um, hopefully it'll catch on and hopefully we'll be having 100s with 100% renewable energy soon. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on to our podcast. It's been really brilliant to just have such a down-to-earth chat about what's going on in Honduras. It's obviously really sad to hear as well um, what can happen to, to people who are taking a stand for what they believe. So it's really great to just try and get to the crux of the issue and talk about how the work that you're doing can 
can help to overcome them. We can't thank you enough for giving us your two cents about Honduras. I feel so lazy listening to you. Like you're doing so much, but it's great. This has become our job, Khadija. Our job is our job is to interview people who make us feel lazy. <laughs> Clearly, but that's okay. We're doing great stuff no, too, Alex. You, so. you know, people wouldn't would never realize about it if it wasn't for the work of people like mm. you. So I'm really grateful. And I guess if I want to close with a message or something, is that if we can do it here in a country with so many obstacles it re really can be done by anyone and everywhere so it's a call to action for youth to get involved for our future brilliant nice yeah. all right <laughs> do you want to let, let our listeners know where they can find you on social media if they want to get in touch anything like that sure so you can reach me out at facebook at sustenta honduras that's And then um, my name is Ricardo Pineda Guzman. You can look me up on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I'm happy to help and to promote climate action and help you in your countries and all your work. Well, that was a um, that was a fun discussion. I don't really know what to say about that. That was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every single person we talk to on this podcast has some life advice for people. <laughs> But that's good. But people, It I is. mean, the climate fight is not an easy one. So it is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're doing our job. I guess yep. we're doing our job. And it's a pretty good job too. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like Honduras Sustenta is uh, still a young organization. No pun yeah. intended. But <laughs> it's a very bad joke, Alex. <laughs> Go ahead. But it's got a really it, they they have a really great leader behind them. It sounds like Ricardo is doing some brilliant work. He's got so many irons in the fire, and it has to lead to to great things. Yeah, he's so ambitious. Like I'm just listening to him, and like he's so passionate about his country and actually wanting to bring about change. You know, I mean, I feel for some of us, like yeah, we care about our country, but he really cares and wants mm. to do work we definitely next time we have him on we we'll have to get him back and maybe ask him to break down the climate modeling that he does at uc berkeley because he starts talking about climate modeling and i'm like yeah that's great 20,000 data points wow so that's definitely something to talk to him more about and see where he's getting that data from yeah but he also made a good point when he was talking about his data like how when he watched a very simple table that only had like two or three factors when there's so much more that goes into it so it's yeah, like I, I don't want to know how many governments out there are using simple tables like that and just be yeah, like, oh yeah, scary. that works. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, th obviously it's cheaper for us to continue using fossil fuels because this table with only three variables on it says so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he also touched on the fact that like you need research to make informed decisions without yeah. that research or without that data then. What are you doing? He's really throwing the government of Honduras in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> But he also no, has their support, which is great. Exactly. He's working really closely with them. It yeah. takes me back to our interview with Maximo talking about <laughs> throwing rocks. Oh, and how you yeah. can't just be throwing rocks. You have to work alongside <laughs> them as well. Well, I guess that's just about it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Ricardo and got a better idea of what's going on in Honduras. It's not a country that's given a lot of attention in uh, global mass media so it's something that we feel privileged to be able to report on all our sources for the episode will be posted in the show notes do also keep an eye out for a blog to be posted on our website 
we're going to have some more information there on what Ricardo is doing. So if you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud and be sure to follow us on all our social media accounts at PTAPod. Also, thanks to Legion X for the great song we mixed to make our theme and thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Bye!